Tego. I'm John Kane, and I welcome you to Let's Talk Native on this Saturday, May 9th. While this program may not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do encourage it in some cases start conversations. We kind of break the rules here for Native Radio. We don't do prayers and we don't do buffalo speeches and we don't do spirituality shows. We take a tough look at history, oppression, and survival. We talk about culture, the arts, politics, and identity, and we may step on a few toes along the way. But our real goal here is to bring people together by breaking down what separates us. We will take on the false narratives and provide critical thinking to all that's heaped upon us. And we do it all right here live from the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. So let's talk native. But first, let me remind people that our uh, our audio streams on our website, uh, and there's a lot there on the website, so I encourage you to check it out. But our audio streams on our website, which is www.letstalknative.com. We stream video of the show live on Facebook via Facebook Live on our group pages and uh, share it on a bunch of other group pages. We take the audio, we put it up on SoundCloud, which posts it up as a podcast on all of your favorite podcast platforms. We take the video, we put it up on YouTube, on our YouTube channel, which is Let's Talk Native TV. I encourage you to uh, subscribe to our podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We do a, a lot of other videos besides just what we do here on our um, on our shows three day, uh, three times a week. Uh, in fact, um, our, our latest video is up. I've mentioned it before, but it's called This is Canada. I encourage you to go to our uh, YouTube channel and check out this is Canada. Uh, it might be eye-opening. If you are among the, the class of people who think Canada is so nice and that might be a good place to leave to, to escape uh, the, the United States of Trump, um, yeah, you might want to check out this video. It might change your mind. So uh, I am the show's host and producer. I am joined here in studio by Jake Proud, who's managing our audio and our video. Um, and again, I thank you for, for joining the show. I've got a couple things that, one topic that I want to talk about, and, and I've talked about identity a lot in uh, during the show and various shows, but I'm going to talk about reclaiming our identity. I want to talk about how even our people, through multiple generations, almost accepted and, and, and bought into the identity that was created for us. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit as we go forward and how we've reclaimed it. Um, you know some of the things that have happened in the recent history that has affected that, but that, that's what I'm going to talk about. But first, I got a couple of things I got to uh, housekeeping, as they say, that I got to do. Uh, yesterday were, was the the birthday for my two granddaughters, uh, who I've got. I'm I've got a unique situation in, in my household. Uh, both my daughters had babies on the same day, not same calendar day, but on the exact same day. So I've got two granddaughters who just turned um, 11 years old. They're not twins, but we call them twin cousins. So I want to wish a happy 11th birthday to. Um, um, to Julia Rose and Rael Sky, my two uh, my my two oldest granddaughters. I have one other granddaughter, nine grandchildren all together. But I want to wish happy birthday to my to my two granddaughters. Obviously, this year it's um, you don't we're not doing the same things that we would normally do. No big party. We did drive by for one of my um, granddaughters. We did one of those birthday parades, and the other one will do something in the future, I guess. So, um, so it's again, I want to wish happy birthday to my granddaughters. Now, the other thing I have to do is uh, is acknowledge that tomorrow. In fact, by the time I leave the studio tonight, because I usually don't get out of here until after midnight, um, it will on the calendar be considered Mother's Day. So, I want to um, first wish my my wife a happy mother's day um mother of my three children uh grandmother to nine and i want to wish my uh my daughters my two daughters happy mother's day my daughter-in-law and you know what i want to wish all you mothers a happy mother's day uh, for tomorrow for tomorrow i know there there's probably not going to be the family gatherings that you, that you have been accustomed to um for those of you who are accustomed to uh to celebrating happy you know a happy mother's day so i want to make the acknowledgement here um I've talked a lot about women on the on the program. We, we obviously we've done a couple of shows on missing and murdered indigenous women. Um, look, we and it's not just within our people, but there there's so many examples of of women who have had to raise children by themselves. Uh, I, one of my daughters uh, is a uh, is a single mother. Um, her husband she lost her husband to, to cancer, you know, a number of years ago. Um, and that's a that's a unique struggle. It's a unique struggle for any woman, and it's great when when a single parent, a single woman, a single mother, has extended family to help out. Um, it's one of the things that culturally that's that's it's appropriate for us, but not all cultures have that, and there's and there's a lot of disconnections that that take place. But again, I want to I want to wish a happy Mother's Day to 
to the mothers, to the grandmothers who actually are uh, you know, still maintain a role uh, in motherhood to their to their grandchildren and sometimes even their great grandchildren. So I, I just want to uh, put that wish out there to everybody. All right. So um, let me do a, a little bit of a little bit of COVID numbers. Um, yesterday, the 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 global uh, worldwide number of cases reached four million, and again. 4 million confirmed by test. Now, I, I want to be clear that when I say there's 4 million cases, there are significantly more than that. These are only the ones that have been determined by, because somebody took a test. Um, there are many, many, many more people who have not only contracted the disease and carried the disease and spread the disease, became very ill with the disease, but even died with this disease that were never tested. So when we use these numbers and any of the numbers that I cite, you know, on a, a show by show, um, are not really reflective of the the actual true numbers. They are only the confirmed numbers by test. So, but yesterday the uh, um, again the global w- worldwide number of cases reached four million. It's uh, it's four point one today. Um, the U.S. Uh, actually represents one million active cases. The number of cases that the United States has had is a third of all of the of the global numbers, but the number of active cases, because some people not only have perished but but some have um, recovered, the number of active the United States represents almost half, almost half of all active cases in the world. You know, again, envy of the world. I know, envy of the world, right? Um, so, and that's that's worth noting. So, because if there's a million active cases in the United States, that means that there's a million people confirmed by test who can infect others and who are infecting others. And even if you're hospitalized, you, 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 are, you still can be infected, uh, infecting others. So that's part of the reason that, it, it, that this is, is such a problem. And, and that number of active cases, it grows every single day. It's not like the recovery rate or even the death rate is lowering the number of people with active, that are actively infected by the disease. No, it's, it's, it grows significantly every, every single day. Um, the U.S. reached one of uh, another milestone in terms of the number of deaths. Even though the prediction by uh, by Trump and company was uh, that this would max out at sixty thousand, they're now at eighty thousand. Today, I think they reached eighty thousand deaths in the U.S. and they're adding at least uh, you know around two thousand cases per day. Uh, some days have spiked up higher than that, and and the numbers vary. Probably less to do with actual cases and deaths but more to do with the day that they report them um but eighty thousand deaths in the u.s um that they reached that today uh, again those are deaths that are confirmed either by test or some sort of um cdc standard for just determining whether a death was caused by covid19 or not um the estimate that we, we talked about on the last show was that it would be a hundred and fifty thousand by august and It'll probably be closer to two hundred thousand by August, and especially if you're locked down with the end of August. I mean, it uh, the numbers are growing; it's significant. Um, another thing that's worth noting: the UK is uh, is second behind the US in the number of total deaths, but uh, but that's at thirty one thousand. The UK will p- surpass um, uh, Italy for the number of uh, cases probably in the next couple of days. Russia will surpass. Uh, the UK and and Italy in a couple of days as well. They're they're approaching, I think, the the uh, what two hundred thousand mark or something like that. Um, they're adding about Russia's adding about ten thousand, ten to eleven thousand people a day in the number of cases. Their their death numbers are still significantly low, unbelievably low. Not believable is what I mean by unbelievably low. Um, but their number of reported cases are, are averaging you know, between ten and eleven thousand per day. Only the United States is, is adding more than that, and, and the United States is adding between twenty-five and thirty thousand cases per day, new cases per day. So, anyway, that's my my, my COVID updates, I guess. Um, there's a lot to talk about there. Obviously, cases showing up in the White House and that kind of stuff, but uh, I'm not going to belabor that point. Um, reclaiming our identity. Now, I, again, I've talked about our identity before, and, and what I want to talk about this time is, is this sense that 
even our people, I mean, our, ourselves, you know, in my generation, but certainly generations <clears throat> before this, have, we almost bought into somebody else identifying us. And, and by that, I mean uh, Hollywood, um, you know, the, the mascot issue. Oh, I'm wearing my, my by the way, my racial slurs uh, T-shirt that I got from Donna Van Boyle. Thanks, Donna. Uh, anybody else wants to outfit me? Uh, <laughs> feel free to do so. Two uh, X, by the way. Um, <laughs> so the there's this appropriation and this idea that that Hollywood, um, when when westerns were such a big a big hit in Hollywood, they would define what a native person looked like. What we sounded like, the whole pigeon English thing and the um, the bandanas, which were never, you know, headbands. Native people, you know why headbands became so, so such a standard for, for Native people on uh, in Hollywood? To hold their fake wigs on. Native people didn't wear headbands. I mean, that's not even, that's just, the, didn't, there's no culture that ever showed Native people wearing headbands. And I... <laughs> This is this is kind of explained in the in the film Real Engines, by the way. I encourage you to if you haven't checked that film out, that's real as an R E E L uh, engines. Check it out. It's it's a great film. Um, but yeah, so they defined what we look like, and they did it so effectively that our own people, when we would when we try to dress in traditional clothing, there's a period of time, and look, you can see this in old old pictures from your probably in your own family albums even as Haudenosaunee when the six nations decided that that they needed to declare make their own declaration of war against the Axis powers they went down to Washington they were wearing Plains Indian headdresses they weren't wearing Gostoas no not, nothing with antlers or the or the, the right number of feathers nothing no Plains Indian headdresses um Descahe, everybody talks about you know, the great Descahe, but he too would would he'd be wearing oftentimes you know a, a western native clothing why because that's hollywood had defined that for us now i'm not condemning that i'm just acknowledging that as true because it did happen uh, look you know in in new york city the uh they have this area in brooklyn they used to call little cognawaga before we reclaimed our name and went back to Gunawage, um little cognawaga in, in brooklyn and they had their their own little social gatherings that were native the native families and and again plains indian headdresses you know we did these indian villages and we were carving up totem poles because that's what we thought we needed to do right i mean uh um uh, smoking fire or poking fire or whatever it was up in gunawake <laughs> uh the, the indian village we would do this for tourists so we would dress the role we were we were claiming the identity that was created for us we the the names that we called ourselves i'm look I, i'm i'm going to gahaga but if i tell most people that i could explain well you know it is mohawk that's a word that's imposed upon us now i'm not saying hollywood did, did that but over time we would actually abandon our own language and, the, and our own words for identifying ourselves seneca's onondawaga I mean, now we're reclaiming some of that stuff, <clears throat> but we've allowed ourselves to be called, you know, Mohawks and Senecas, and I mean, you, you look out, look out west, the Sioux. If if you talk to the Lakota, and and get into the definition of the word, Sioux is not a word that they appreciate that that they respect or and they acknowledge it as a label for them. And yet, <laughs> Standing Rock Sioux, Cheyenne River Sioux. I mean, all, the, the Sioux nations, all of these, uh, it actually becomes part of their name because the federal government called them that. Uh, if you look, the Navajo, they prefer to be called Dene because that's their language. You know, Anishinaabe, um, I mean, all these, we have all of these words that somebody else bastardized or completely changed. I mean, look, we, we have uh, names of uh, peoples that were, were French words, Lac de Flambeau. What the hell is Lac de Flambeau? I mean, I don't know, Lake of Fire, I guess it must be, or something like that. I don't know. But, I mean, so how how does a French word become the name of, you know, Iroquois? That's Haudenosaunee. Not Iroquois? And, and yet, Iroquois? I mean, these are the words that, that got imposed upon us, and we just used them. I, and, and in many ways, we still do. I mean, I, one of the companies that, when I first started doing this, um, 
we we worked through a company we called Iroquois Promotions. Completely inappropriate uh, um, name. The the lacrosse team associated with the Haudenosaunee Iroquois Nationals. Running. Neither one of those words should should be a part of the the, na- the name of our team. We shouldn't be called the Iroquois Nationals. I don't know what the hell that even means. But we see we've done that. We've done that. We've look, and it isn't just because we've adopted English. And, and or English has been imposed upon us and, and we've lost much of our language because we've always had somebody. We've always, we've always known the words. You know, so again, on that same vein, Seneca Nation of Indians. For one thing, Seneca is a, a good enough by itself, but although it should have been Onondawaga, but to be called Indians. Uh, we know that, that that was a misnomer. That was Columbus's mistake. And I know... I see all the posts all the time that Columbus, you know, was, didn't think he was in India. No, he thought he was in the Indies when he landed on the islands of, of the Caribbean. That's why they called him the they called him the West Indies ultimately because he thought he had reached the western part of the East Indies. So that's why he, we were called Indians. It's it's a mistake. It's wrong. It's categorically wrong. And so when when and we still have a lot of people, and 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 some for good for or at least for. Um, practical reasons, I guess, still use the word Indians to describe us. But our word is only. I use the word native as a benign way to describe native, when I say native people. And the reason I say native people, because all of our words do not describe us as nations. I don't like First Nations, and I don't like, you know, American Indians or, you know, First Americans, none of that stuff. No, none of those words are, are of my preference. That's why I'll use something benign like like native peoples because Onondawaga means the people of of the mountains. You know, Gunyagaaga means the people of the land where of Flint. Onyotaaga, the people where of the land where the stones stand. This is so it's always the people. Dene means the people. Lakota means the, the the people. So you know this word nation, which is a box that somebody that, that Europe defined what is a nation. So we let these European powers define, them. and and that's what I'm saying. We've begun to reject some of those identities that were created for us. Only begun. Seneca Nation is is in the process of dropping the the, the word the the word Indian from the name. So they oftentimes refer to Seneca Nation more so than Seneca Nation of Indians. But there's a lot of things. SNI Seneca Nation of Indians. That's that became it becomes habitual, right? <laughs> it, so. You, you start to drop some of those things. You you know, some of the traffic signs change a little bit and they put, you know, Seneca words or words in the language on there so people become more familiar. But we know enough words to at least distinguish ourselves. We get, we know that, I mean, I can identify myself as Gunyagahaga. I can identify myself as Garhio instead of John Kane. I can identify myself as Ungwe instead of even a, a native person. So, and we should do that. We But along the way... While much of our identities were being appropriated, we too did a little bit of appropriation. And, and, and I'll get into that a little bit more later when I'm talking about words like sovereignty. But on the appropriation side, look, we got used for marketing. You know, I'm not going to go through a whole Land of Lakes thing, but you know, whether you're talking about the, the power company calling themselves Niagara Mohawk or, or all the, the weaponry that, that had native names, whether it's Tomahawk missiles or um, you know, Apache helicopters or, or, you know, or, or whatever, all of these you know the the military references to native people the the sports teams um <clears throat> obviously the shirt that i'm wearing is uh, is to mock the the washington football team which who uses a slur but that slur we have we've pushed that issue enough to get it acknowledged that it is a racial slur because it became such a part of uh, of the American vernacular, and there's so much there's so much language that that adopts these things and cont- continues to prep- uh, perpetuate them, that we become oblivious to it. And there was a time <clears throat> that we, as Native people, would root for a team that would have a, a, a buffoonish cartoon Indian on the on the uh, on the hat, or a racial slur for the name of the team, or you know, a tomahawk or a spear or a lance or something. You know, we would root for the Chiefs or the Blackhawks or the or the Braves. But at some point, we began to enlighten ourselves a little bit, become a little bit more aware that those weren't honoring us. 
I mean, they were mocking us on their fields, on their, on their fields of play. And we realized that, it, that, it, that it's, a, it's, it's taking something from us. It's not giving anything back. It isn't honoring us. And when you listen to the words of their fight songs and all that other stuff, you realize <clears throat> how insulting it really is. So, you know, when, when I hear you know, the, the right wing say, well, they never complained about this stuff before. No, we've been complaining about this stuff for quite some time. We became enlightened about this stuff. And, and we'll go through some of the dates here. It's, you know, it's in the 70s when there was a resurgence in, in you know, what was called the sovereignty movement. And the idea of, um, of of native people becoming activists, you know, look, we we were on the fringe of the civil rights movements and that kind of stuff, but we weren't fighting for civil rights. We weren't fighting for constitutional equality. No, we were fighting for identity, a distinguish, distinction. So, while we could share in some of that that fight, I guess, associated with civil rights, that's not what we were after. So when you go into the 70s and we're talking about things like like distinction and sovereignty and 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 not even words like statehood statehood but but defending our territories and that no we're we're not a part of you. We you know this whole idea that when I suggest that I'm not an American that I'm that I'm Gunyaga Hog that I'm Mohawk that that I'm Ongwe that is still not the widely held view but it's an ever increasing view held by uh by more and more native people and this is a part of that this is part of that reclaiming of our identity and and look when you when you look through what what happened with the 70s so whether you're talking about aim or the or the uh the resurgence of, of warrior societies and singing societies and all that stuff it starts to build on asserting our rights uh are not and not rights that are granted to us but but rights that we never legally gave up. And, and it has to do with land rights. It has to do with, you know, developing economically. So by the time you get into the 90s, and, and then you realize that it culminates in, in some violent standoffs, like, like the Gunnozadage um, Oka crisis. And then our tax battles going forward. All of a sudden... We're standing up in ways, uh, and 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 it starts to to grow. So this this idea of resistance is not just about now. We're not talking about just about rights. Now we're talking about resistance, fighting back against um, outside forces trying to impose their will against us. And we're still going through that today. But it begins in the seventies. It grows through the eighties, and then in with what took place in nineteen ninety in Gunnazadage and Gunawage. Uh, it it explodes into you know and like I said Jake and I are going to do a video that, that kind of reflects back on the nineties, but it explodes and then things change in a wholesale way. But I'll tell you, going back to the seventies, that seventy that sovereignty movement was just ours. It impacted the, the, the folks in Hawaii as well. They started re, re taking another look at history and rejecting the history that was handed to them that they were that you know that there was an, an annexation treaty that the united states annexed hawaii and they say well no we, we checked it out that's not true they told us that and we believed it for several generations or a generation or two but now that we know we can't not know this anymore we, you know you, you you can't erase this we know the truth now and see that's what we've learned you know, as, as we start pushing away the imposed identity and reclaiming who we really are, we start to learn more. We start examining the language more. We still had a lot of language speakers, and we still do have a lot of language speakers. But I don't think there was the will <clears throat> to determine how much w- that language could tell us about our history. You know, when when the white folks are writing all the history, and we're using their treaties to define us, which is another huge mistake. And we're using their the allowances within their law. I mean, look, we still have people talking about treaty rights, treaty rights, treaty rights. Treaties don't give you rights. <clears throat> if anything, they take them away. But they they may acknowledge rights that uh, that they're they're still going to respect. But they don't give us anything. 
you know, in our language, the, the words that we used to describe a treaty was we, we, we give away our lands. Because every treaty that was ever asked of us or, or, or were, were pursued with us usually had to do with a land session. So we oftentimes were ceding lands to maintain a certain level of our identity and our distinction. And those treaties would oftentimes reflect that. Oh, well, the United States will never claim the land that you retain. The United States will never, will never claim the same. We acknowledge that that land is yours until you want to give it to us or sell it to us. And they were going to continually try to get us to sell, sell that land. But they were acknowledging that until we did that, that it was ours. Of course, they would also try to screw us and, and try to say, well, a lease is kind of like a sale. No, it's not. They're not like a sale. They're completely different. And what they would do in one part of the country to a, a group of uh, Native people or Ongwe they would say, well, what we did to them applies to what we, we're going to do to you. That's what the, the, the whole doctrine of discovery, um, where they would enforce that, you know, this becomes codified in law over the Cherokee cases, even in the midst of, the, uh, of multiple decades of, of uh, presidential administrations acknowledging that we owned our land, you have the Supreme Court of the United States saying, well, no, Native people don't really own land. Well, wait a minute, that's not, that's not what the treaties that you're, you're, you folks wrote said. See, that's why they, they, break, they, they started to break it all down. And until we become aware of it, we don't stand up to it. So now we teach about the doctrine of discovery and the fraud that was associated with the church and the fraud that is associated with, with these land uh, you know, sessions and, uh, and these court rulings. And this all has to do with us reclaiming our identity. Because once we realize and, and, and revisit through language and not through their documents, but through our, through our own understanding of, of how we defined land and how we defined each other, how we defined what we were as a people, not as a political entity, not as um, as a monarchy. I mean, you know, one of, one of the other huge um, steps backward that our people took was, and we still have people who refer to, well, we, we have a chief system. Well, Haudenosaunee never had a chief system. Well, uh, I take it back. When we did have a chief system, it was, it was because it was our clan system that had been obliterated through the male dominance culture of, of Europe. So at some point, we had errant chiefs we had we had people who sat in these title positions who assumed authority that the Guyana or Goa never gave them so they hijacked what we now refer to as the great law of peace but the, the Guyana or Goa they hijacked that and they created this male dominant uh governing system that was not traditional was never a part of our culture it was it was something that was adopted because of, that's what the white people did but as we start to learn more, and we still right now, we sit at odds, even within, you know, some of the longhouses. And that's why we have this, sometimes this rift between the, the handsome lake longhouses and the great law longhouses. Because the handsome lakers are all saying, honor the chiefs. And the great law says, no, the, the, the power still is vested with the people. And it's, it's the clan system. It's not the chief system. So... And, I, and I'm not saying that those two things are, are the only ways to define, you know, a great law, a great law longhouse and, and a handsome lake longhouse, but it's one of those, those characteristics. Because part of the, this whole changing of our systems usually was about a power struggle and control. Women, women became subjugated within our system because of our own, you know, steps backwards that we took culturally and in our own identity. Hell, when the Seneca Nation, and I've mentioned this many times, when the Seneca Nation adopted a constitution in 1848 where, where uh, leaders were elected and, and they, they moved away from the clan system and the idea of raising, raising up chiefs and clan mothers through, through the traditional process, they said, no, we're going to do elections like, like the white people do. Again, a real identity pro uh, problem there. But when they did that, women couldn't vote. Well, how could that have been? How could we have gone from, from a... I mean, we, we teach this to our kids still today in school. Even in the white schools, they say, well, the, um, the, the Haudenosaunee revered women. And women had, a, had an equal place in, in governing. And, well, wait a second. If that was the case, how did, how did it deteriorate? Well, I'll tell you how. Because we lost our identity. We accepted what was being imposed upon us. And now we, and 
since the 70s, we've been increasingly reclaiming more of that. And so that's, that's what I'm talking about here. All right, we're at the bottom of the hour, so we're going to take a break and we'll come back. I, I want to keep going on this. I want to e- explore not only where we've come, but how and what it means to us now. We've got situations that are developing on a daily basis that pit us against the states, that pit us against the federal government. And, and part of reclaiming our identity is, is, is what has given us at least the, the courage, I guess, or, or the will to, to stand up and, and, to, and to assert who we really are. So we'll do that after that. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. All right, thanks for coming back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. I want to thank our sponsors. I want to thank Ross and Holly John and the RJE family of businesses. I want to thank uh, the folks at Grand River Enterprises and uh, Eric White and ERW Enterprises as well. Uh, I want to thank all of you who who, who help on a regular basis and those who uh, every once in a while will drop a check in the mail. It helps us. We're, we're still trying to do a little bit of – we're always trying to build out some of our equipment. Um, we are looking at possibly even changing how we do uh, – uh, our shows uh switching perhaps more to an obs system that allow us different camera angles and multi-cameras and so we do that by buying um additional pieces of equipment and try to expand what we are capable of doing not only with the shows but even the videos that jake and i work on so um so any of you who who do support the show you enable us to grow not only with what we're doing with let's talk native and and let's talk on wbai but what we're doing in general here so um i also want to thank all of you who share the show uh whether you share it as a podcast or you share it across Facebook as, uh, as a live stream, uh, whether you share the videos. And, and again, I want to plug uh, our latest video once again. Uh, this is Canada is our latest video on uh, YouTube. You can find it on our YouTube channel, which is Let's Talk Native TV. And I encourage you to not only view it, but, but share it, but offer your comments. And, you know, share it on social media. You can share it on, on, on Twitter and uh on on facebook or whatever other social media you use i um i would like to get feedback on this i mean i i don't think it was that bold to to do a video that exposes just how much racism exists in canada most of us who 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 travel on either side of that imaginary line know it but there still is this this you know pervasive view that so many people have that Canada is so nice. Well, it ain't so nice. It ain't so nice. So check out the video and um, and share your comments. If you don't agree with me, that, then that's fine too. But at least that's a conversation that we, we can have. Um, all right, so back on topic. I'm talking about reclaiming our identity. And and, and part of what is involved is, is overcoming the way we are characterized in history. Uh, we're always... Just the notion of history suggests that we existed in a time before like we don't exist anymore in fact there are people today in many places around the world but in the united states um and in canada that that don't know that we exist as distinct people anymore oh i didn't know that they i didn't know there were still indians i mean you don't know how often i hear that and yes i know that i go to new york and new york is a is a place that's got people from all over the world there so yeah but but it's amazing to me that we we have to explain that we're still here and part of it is the way history books have have, have characterized us and we are viewed and in fact when i was in in school in, in high school they taught history as as periods of history so they had you know um in the, for the united states they 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 lead off with indians as the as the first period of history american history because we were the only ones that were here and that's what so indians then they have discovery then they have um, uh, colonization, and then you know revolutionary war, and they go through this whole. They, so they characterize every part of history as a period of history, and and they list them you know, like that: Indians, you know, um, discovery, colonization, revolution, all that right through. But what it does is it says, okay, so we only existed in the very beginning of American history, and then we what cease to exist. We're, we're not mentioned again. I mean, uh, the only time they ever you know, discuss Native people in, in, in history class, whether it's elementary school or high school, is they mention us as, as a people in the past. 
They don't talk about residential schools. They don't talk about, you know, um, Lincoln's execution of 38 Dakota. They don't talk about, you know, and they don't even talk about things like code talkers or anything. Maybe it's an aside mention, but it isn't, you know, a textbook, you know, chapter. So so we're written off in, in, in the history books, but we're still here. And so we have to struggle because we aren't those people in the history books either because we've evolved. We, we've moved forward. So there is an evolution of our identity. And part of the evolution had a huge, um, had a disaster in the middle of it. I mean, because we, for a big part of the last, you know, several hundred years, we no longer defined ourselves. And, and even today, you know, when, when people talk about the, the, the experts, the the Indian experts, the experts on Indian law. Yeah, so there, there's the Washington law firms. Oh, yeah, we specialize in Indian law. We specialize in Indian gaming. They don't even have enough sense to drop the word Indian from, uh, you know, from their own definition. That all, all by itself defines, for me, defines something. That they're still locked into that mindset that we are this misidentified group of people. And so, and so white people become the experts. Native territories all over the U.S. and Canada, they hire white people as the experts to explain everything from our, from our business, uh, how to run our businesses, how to govern, how to, how to pass resolutions, how to um, interact with... How, we don't, we're not even the diplomats anymore. One of the things that the, the, the Haudenosaunee was known for was, for was for statesmanship. Now we hire white men to do it for us. Those are the experts. We hire economists who are going to, you know, explain what our economic impact is to the, uh, to the, we, we, apparently we can't define that ourselves. So we end up taking a back seat to somebody else. We're, we're actually paying white people to define us. The Seneca Nation employs people, and I'm not picking on Seneca Nation because they all do it. They employ people to write down who we are. I mean, it, it's, it seems bizarre. So, as many of us on the grassroots level are are fighting to reclaim our identity, some of the people we're fighting are are our own people, and and of course, church has a lot to do with it. The relationship between native politicians and non-native politicians has a lot to do with it. Funding, where funding sources come from, the relationship with the Interior Department, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, and and, and tribal governments. And there's another word for you. We adopt that word. That word is an insult. And you know how I know it's an insult? Listen to anybody on television when they use the word tribe, tribal, or tribalism. When, if they want to talk about, well, you know, Congress went and got all tribal, they're not saying they got good. When they're talking about the tribal regions of Pakistan, they're not talking about the sophisticated, civilized regions of, of Pakistan. They're talking about the primitive backwards people. So when they use words like tribe and tribal, they know, and then we're supposed to say, oh, but no, but when they're talking about us, they don't mean it that way. Bullshit. That's exactly what they mean. And yet, we're, we're going to call ourselves tribal governments. Like it's a good thing when we use it, right? If they call, called, a, if they were referring to any other place in the world, a, a tribal government, it would be an insult. It would be characterized as, as primitive. Tribal regions, primitive regions. Well, aren't our areas, why aren't our territories tribal regions? Well, as far as they're concerned, they are. That's why we got to hire white people to define us. So <laughs> the reality is we don't need to hire white people to define us. We have plenty of articulate, intelligent, and I don't mean educated, because that's, you know, when, when you want to talk about how our identity has been, been so jacked up, it was, through, it, it was through education, those history books. How we teach about economic development. We, we frame what we're going to do on our territories on what they allow. You know, and again, here's a, here's a classic example. We're in the, in the midst of a pandemic where some states have taken no measures to either limit or slow the spread or to, to protect their own citizenry, whether it's the elders, you know. Look, we're, Jake and I were talking before the show. 30% of all the people, all the deaths of that 80,000 people, 30% of them were old people in nursing homes. Well, I don't know to say old people. There were people in nursing homes or people who worked in nursing homes. They were nursing home-related um, deaths. 
How could you not have been able to protect a nursing home for crying out loud? Or the people there? I mean, it's a pretty well-contained group of people. But no. So the states, you know, many states, including the much, you know, praised Andrew Cuomo, he was slow to react. Uh, don't, don't even get me started on the moron in the White House. But so not only were so many states slow to react, some didn't do anything at all, like South Dakota. So what happens? The native people there say, wait a second, we are going to, and, and it's not just in South Dakota, but many native territories, they start saying, we want to put a little bit more control over who's coming through our territories. You know, in some places, like even here on Seneca Territory, look, there, there's a lot of commerce here. There are highways that go through, but many native territories have highways that go through the territory. But doesn't mean we don't have the right to, to do a checkpoint. So in Cheyenne River and uh, and, and uh, Oglala Territory and, and other places, but in South Dakota, they put up checkpoints. Now these checkpoints weren't road; they weren't blockades. They wanted to know what's your business here. What are you what are you coming into our communities for? Um, do you have any symptoms? The same thing that you know any of the criterion that any place else would have to ask about about travel. That's what these guys were doing. But the governor, <laughs> South Dakota governor, Christy uh, Nome, I guess her name is, Christy Nome, she demands that the native territories cease and suspend their, their checkpoints. Well, who the hell are you, lady? I mean, what? I mean, my immediate reaction is F you. <laughs> You're not going to tell us that we can't we have no power to regulate who comes on our territories but i'll tell you a couple of decades ago we would have done such a thing we know we have the right to do it now this is part of reclaiming that identity but as we reclaim that identity we got to fight like hell for it every time we try to take steps look most people don't realize this and, and i didn't know this this actually still exists even this notion of um uh, self-determination you, you look at the history, and we're, we're, we're actually we're going to do a video on this. The, the, the five policies of the U.S. The first was killing us, killing Native people, extermination. The second was removal. Uh, we're going to kill them, or we're going to just push them off their off their own lands. Um, then there was. Um, uh, Oh, assimilation. Now, and, and I want to say then, because these all overlap. Look, they were killing us and removing us at the same time. They're also working to assimilate some of us. And so, well, we're not going to kill them. We've got to make them into Americans. So they got to, like, whitewash us, right? So there's, again, extermination. There was removal, assimilation. Then, once they, they, they've kind of removed us from our lands, killed a lot of us, and then kind of changed our minds, stripped away our identity, then they could say, we don't have to recognize you anymore. Not, not, as, not as Indians. So we're going to terminate what we call our trust responsibility to you. So there was, again, extermination, removal, assimilation, and termination. I mean, these were, those were the four policies completely designed to eradicate us and eliminate us. But then there's one more that comes in. Self-determination. But self-determination isn't what it sounds like. It doesn't like they, it's not like they finally said, we recognize that you have the right to, to determine your own fate and determine your own identity. No, it's not quite what they meant. So self-governance, this, this idea of, you know, of, of you know, and, and the federal government got, got, got real smart about it. They said, well, when we say self-determination, we mean internal self-determination. We don't mean the international definition of self-determination. Because the international definition of self-determination starts to sound like statehood. Starts to sound like independent nations. And we don't mean that. No, we mean internally they can, look, they can do stuff inside their own community, but they can't assert sovereignty. And in fact, specifically, the State Department said, we, uh, or, or no, I'm sorry, the, the National Security Agency, the NCA, NSA said, we cannot accept the notion that Native people have the right to assert sovereignty over their lands. Again, they didn't even care what we were doing to, to our people if we were asserting sovereignty over our own people. And by, by sovereignty, I mean 
power and control. They just didn't want us asserting our, our own authority over, over our own lands. So, and that hasn't changed. I mean, we st- we're still fighting Andrew Cuomo over what the, what the governor feels we can and can't do on our, ter- on, on our lands. The Lakota, they're still fighting you know, the, the governor in, in, uh, in, in South Dakota over what they, even the, they're fighting over the right to protect their own people. You know, and they have language in you know in treaties that basically say no white man has the right to freely pass through native territories. They can only do it with permission. It, 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 the native people get to decide who is allowed to and not allowed, who is and isn't allowed to come through their lands. Not according to Christy, uh, Christy Nome. No, she's going to sit there as the governor of a state. And try to dictate what native territories can do, what native peoples can do, and and we see this all over the place. We, look, we, we've got fights with governors in, in New Mexico, and we got a fight with governors in in Oklahoma, in 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 Florida, in in New York. Every, every state that has native people in it, we're at odds with those with those the governors and with the, with state control. And of course, we're we're very much at odds with with the federal governments, with the provincial governments in Canada, with the federal Canadian federal governments. We're fighting. All the time. And a lot of that fight has to do with us asserting who we are. And no longer accepting the federal government's definition of who we are. Because they've, that's, what, that's what the Indian Act did. Indian Act says, we're going to tell you what, a, what an Indian is. The Indian Reorganization Act, same thing on the U.S. side. We're going to tell you what an Indian is. Well, I'll tell you what. We ain't it. We're, we don't claim the Indian. And, and, and the fact that, that you have tried to impose that on us, even as you are appropriating it and calling your baseball team that or your, your high school teams that, you are claiming it for yourself and are trying to impose this redefinition of, what, of, of these words on us at the same time. But see, we get to decide. There's no, it doesn't have to be written anyplace. And even though it is affirmed in place in, in things like the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, but we didn't need the UN to say it either. We get to decide who we are, and we don't have to accept a white man's version of history that we know is bullshit, that, that it's that it's rife with lies or omissions or both. We don't have to accept any of that. We don't have to accept that be, you know the appropriation of our of our names or words or references or our images. We don't have to accept a bunch of white boys, you know, putting headdresses on, dancing in the streets for their high school. Now, we don't have to accept that. Now, I'm not saying we're stopping you from doing that, but. You have to understand, when we tell you that you look like morons doing that stuff, we know what you, that you look like an ass doing that. Why? Because you're trying to mock our culture. We know mockery when we see it. Now, you can say, oh, we're just pretending. Well, that's kind of the definition of mockery. So, yeah, we, we, we have and we will continue to speak out when people are doing something that we find offensive. Now, it doesn't mean that your soul, you're crushing our souls. Part of the reason we're trying to tell you that it's offensive is to ed- educate you. We already know what you're doing is wrong. You are the ones who don't know that it's wrong. But as we go through all this stuff, we are wrestling with so much. I mean, look, the census uh, comes in the mail right now. I don't know how many people throw in the trash like I do. And yes... I do throw it in the trash. I've got my second notice. Even though it says required by law, well, I'm sorry, it's required by me to throw you in the trash. So that's what I do. I don't vote in, in U.S. elections. I don't worship their church, their churches or their gods. I don't worship their politicians. I And even though I speak the language, and I'm going to tell you, I speak it a lot better than most white people do. Because apparently, even though English is the national language of the United States, Somewhere along the line, they forgot to teach people how to speak it or write it. 
It's amazing to me how illiterate. And of course, it stands to reason. Look at the look at the guy who sits in the White House. He's he's about as illiterate as you know as most Americans. He can only speak at about a fifth grade level. And most Americans are probably he might be above average. <laughs> Sad to say. So maybe you got, most Americans can look up to Donald Trump's speaking ability because most of you are probably speaking uh, uh, speaking and writing at about a third grade level. Yes, I speak English and I speak it very well. And I know but I because I can read in English and I can understand um, my own culture and, and enough language and, and can understand enough English to learn how to understand our language, I, I have a better concept for, for, for what has been done to our people from an identity standpoint. And how that identity, look, there's no question... You look on most native territories. I don't know. I remember I've counted them up a bunch of times, and I always forget how many there are. There's churches all along uh, every native community, and most native communities will, will have one or two longhouses, but they'll have they'll have a half dozen or more churches, and those churches affect the way we think. But you know, the, the interesting thing is, even the most devoted or devoted devoted uh, um, Christians can't abandon certain aspects of uh, uh of you know, religious ceremony or, or not religious uh, native ceremonies not religious ceremonies 10 day feasts there's nothing in in a in a uh in, in christianity that talks about 10 day feast but so our people are conflicted and i and i refer to this as cognitive dissonance and, and i specifically refer to it as the cognitive dissonance of assimilation and part of that exists because we've had generations of people who lost their way. Their, their identities were, were altered. And again, they were altered by history, by churches, by governments, by laws. Them telling us what we can do. When they pass a law that says they get the right to, uh, uh, they, they have jurisdiction over uh, criminal and civil jurisdiction. Wait a second, how did you get that? When did, when did we give that to you? Oh, no, you didn't give it to us. We just took it. Well, then what's the legal framework for it? See, if they just tell you that and you accept it, and part of it is our own lack of understanding about how they operate. You know, look, the United States and other countries, they claim to, to, uh, to govern under the rule of law. Well, I guess part of what you can do is you can find out, are they... And have they violated their own laws? And many of the battles that we have with the with state and federal government is fighting them. We can only fight their laws because none of their courts have any authority to deal with the issues related to people that they don't have, have jurisdiction over. So most of the time when we're fighting, you know, either in Canada or the United States, we're saying you are misunderstanding your own laws. You're, you're, you're giving authority to your laws that, that, that have no foundation. We never fight in, um, in court on the basis of um, our own laws. In fact, we, we can't even fight in their courts on issues of sovereignty because they can't, they can't rule on issues of sovereignty in, in, a, in a state or federal provincial court to the extent that some of them have they've always had to come back to the place and say we have no jurisdiction which they are really averse to doing so rather than losing or admitting they don't have jurisdiction a lot of times they'll throw a case out so there so there ends up being no case law that shows that we asserted our own jurisdiction they'll say well we we in the in the interest of justice they actually have this category in the interest of justice we dismiss the case what the hell does that mean <laughs> what does that mean so this is why we have to we have to take a stronger stance on who we are and we have to be real careful on how much of of their colonial systems whether it's church law you know education we allow that to dictate our identity. Entertainment as well, I guess, media. 
Look, what they've written about us, what they've, what, the movies they've made, the TV shows. Look, every once in a while, something will, something will appear, you know, uh, from a media or entertainment standpoint that shines a little truth. But since so much of that stuff is all fantasy, who, who you know, how can most people discern what is true and what's not true? Most of the stuff that they've written about us throughout the ages, you know, from the you know James Fenimore Cooper right up through um, um, L. Frank Baum, I mean, all of all of these these notable authors and writers over the years have completely bastardized who we are in terms of identity. Newspapers, books, history books, teachers, scholars, ac- people from academia, lawyers. I one lawyer, one lawyer that spoke to a, a crowd of Seneca businessmen said, "You know, my job isn't to isn't is, isn't to fight and defend Indian law. My job is only to find where state and federal governments have violated state and federal law. That's his only job in defending. That's all he can do. He's you need to learn. You need to learn." what your rights are not your rights under u.s and federal law or u.s and state law no you you got to understand more of who you are your identity lies at the foundation of what you assert as your rights what you assert as your own authority they want to tell how your 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 right to carry yourselves your power your authority to carry yourselves it doesn't come from the federal government it doesn't come from a treaty it sure as hell doesn't come from a history book or a law book. It comes from from a history, our history. And we get to, to determine what periods of our history did we get a little lost. I, you know, I, I applaud the Gunaka Maoli, the, 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 the Hawaiian people, who have said, look, yeah, we got duped. We had generations that wouldn't even discuss, wouldn't even talk about the the coup, the toppling of the Hawaiian kingdom. But once they started picking away at that, once they started uncovering it and realizing what a lie, even some of their own people perpetuated that lie for, for a couple of generations. Once they, once they peeled that back and they said, no, we're not going back. We're going forward. And that's what's on us. You know, I find inspiration in in what the Hawaiian people are are fighting for. I'm I'm look, I don't pretend to understand um even how the Hawaiian kingdom as a concept becomes um the foundation of of Hawaiian culture because obviously their culture goes way before, you know, uh even the first, you know, Kamehameha the first and and others. But but I appreciate that that they're still they're fighting to reclaim what the United States took away. Are we? Because that's you know I I know and I, at a grassroots level many of us are. But here's our obstacles: we fight against, you know, again against education, you know, schools, churches, the military. Look, I, I see on a Haudenosaunee group page. There was, a, there was a group page, Haudenosaunee group page. And somebody puts a picture of all these American flags and a casket and a horse bowing down saying, oh, isn't this a beautiful picture? I said, no, it's not a beautiful picture. What the hell is it on a Haudenosaunee page for? Why are we sucking up the United States in honoring their military? But, you know, that's it. We've got such a, we've got such a, a deep history of our people enlisting in the armed services that we don't even think about what that really means. And how much cognitive dissonance goes along with that? We need to peel some of this stuff away. Look, I'm not condemning somebody who enlisted. I'm saying that we should stop doing it going forward. That same army, U.S. Army, the first enemies of the U.S. military were Native people. The first victims, casualties of U.S. militarism were Native people. Men, women, and children. And it would continue for over 100 years until they started killing each other a little bit in the Revolutionary War or in the Civil War, until they would start killing each other or uh, you know, uh, you know, going into other native territories, the Philippines, Vietnam, you know, uh, you know all, these other pe- all these other brown people, people of color, that the United States would oppress with their military. It started with us. 
And we enlisted. We enlisted to help this this military power. Not because they were ever right. Part of it is, is our own wrestling with our own abilities and our own desires to, to be accepted. Man, I'm, I'm running out of time. I ran out of time. Look, I want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, got on a bit of a roll. Um, look, share the show. Uh, we'll be back here on, on Tuesday, and we'll, we'll do it all again. I'll give you updates. But, uh, but thanks for listening. And, uh, and again, tomorrow, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Yahweh.